Luke chapter 24 and verse 36, preached two weeks ago from the beginning of Luke chapter 24 about the resurrected life and the empty tomb and the promise of a resurrected life that we have in Jesus Christ. We can follow after the pattern of his death, burial, and resurrection, and what a miracle that is. Last week, I ministered from the next passage in Luke 24, uh, the one immediately before the one we're going to be in this morning preached about adjustments, how the Lord and the Holy Ghost will make adjustments in our life if we'll yield to it. Amen? Amen. We pick up in this story in verse 36 where Jesus has come out of the tomb and the disciples have started to discover that there's been a resurrection on their journey to a village called Emmaus. And as they walk to Emmaus, they don't recognize who Jesus is. And Jesus converses with them, and they're shocked that it seems like that this person that's walking with them is the only person that hasn't heard of what's going on in Jerusalem these days. And so Jesus, he kind of plays coy and asks, what things? And they start to tell him, well, Jesus of Nazareth, he, he was our supposed Messiah. He was going to be the king of Israel, and we had all these hopes that we'd placed in him, and the Romans took him and crucified him, and now he is dead. And Jesus, beginning at Moses and the prophets, started to explain to these two disciples exactly what Jesus' real mission on the earth was, that it wasn't a political kingdom that Jesus was going to set up, but it was a spiritual kingdom, and that it was a spiritual work that Jesus of Nazareth had come to accomplish. And so, as they approached Emmaus, Jesus stayed with them, and they began to break bread together. And when they broke bread, their eyes were open, and they realized that it was Jesus. It was their master, and their eyes were opened, and Jesus vanished out of their sight. And they were just, they were, their minds were blown, and they started to uh, go around and start to explain what the experience that they'd had on the road to Emmaus. And they started to connect with some of the other disciples, and word started to spread about this, this other encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And verse 36 picks up. And, and says, now as they said these things, they're in the presence of other disciples telling them about this encounter they'd had with Jesus. And as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, which is the Bible's way of saying Jesus wasn't there one second, and then the next second Jesus is there all of a sudden. And he just materializes in the room. He stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. Um, and Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones have you, as you see I have. And when Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And then Jesus said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then Jesus said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be, should be preached in, the name, in his name 
to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. I want to minister from that text about the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. If you would, set your Bibles down. Let's lift up our hands together and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our time this morning. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you with open hearts, with open minds. Lord, we're not perfect people, but Lord, we want to be transformed into your image today. And Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth with power today, Lord, that the spirit that's in this room, your spirit, would move in our hearts and our minds, give us understanding. Lord, lead us to a place of response to where we desire earnestly more than anything else to draw closer to you and be more like you than we've ever been. Lord, I pray that you would send the promise of the Father in this place today. And Lord, we will give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to preach this morning with the help of the Holy Ghost like it's my last chance to preach to you. I don't know if you've looked around at the world lately. We don't have a lot of time left. I know that we were being seated and we were kind of shuffling around there, but I want to make sure everyone heard what I just said. We don't have much time left. I'm going to preach this morning with the help of the Holy Ghost, like it's my last chance to get to preach to you. And I pray, maybe you would commit with me, that you're going to respond like it's your last chance to respond. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds in our world. We don't know what the headlines are going to be by this evening. And you don't know what your life holds tomorrow, or whether you will have a life at all. I pray that you will preach with me today and that you'll respond like it might be your very last chance to be in the house of God under the preached word of God, the last opportunity that we have to make our way to an altar and to respond. Can we do that together this morning? We're not perfect people. All of us are a work in progress, but we all need the same thing today. We need to be in the presence of God and we need to be responding to the word of God. I want to preach to you this morning about the promise of the Father. Before I get very far into the text this morning, I want to pause and recognize that this story that we've read this morning involves something that is completely unique in the pages of Scripture and in the pages of history. Even in the Old Testament, there were those who had been raised back from the dead of some form or fashion, some miraculous occurrence that had happened. It happened in the life and ministry of Jesus before he was crucified that people were raised from the dead. But never before had somebody been in the grave for three days and risen from the dead and received what Jesus had, a glorified body. A glorified body. What Jesus was doing was completely new and completely unique above and beyond anything that had happened before in human history to this point. And it gives us a glimpse 
as believers of what our future is going to be like when we see Jesus in his glorified body. Because there's coming a day when the Spirit of God is going to resurrect all of us that have received the Holy Ghost. We're going to be resurrected in our physical bodies and we're going to have, like Jesus, a glorified human body. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, one of my favorite scriptures to reference when I'm talking about this topic, says that, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. If you want to unpack some of the theology of what Luke 24 tells us in the form of a story, you have to go no further than 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42, Paul writes and says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, And it is raised a spiritual body. Hear me this morning. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, speaking of Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Paul goes on to write in verse 50 of the same chapter. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here today just to debunk a little bit of popular theology that floats around in our ranks sometimes. That when God returns and resurrects his church that we're going to be formless spirit beings with no physical form. But the word of God tells us that the same type of glorified body that Jesus had when he was resurrected from the dead is the same type of body that you're going to have when you're raised up to meet him in the air. Brothers and sisters, the promise of the Father is so much greater than sometimes we will give him credit for. It's how the Bible is true whenever it says that in that day, there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more diseases. There's not going to be any more dysfunction. There's not going to be any more affliction in our physical bodies. Not because we've turned into some kind of spirit form, but because we've been given a spiritual and glorified body. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you today that we have a hope that is beyond any religious system, any belief system the world has to offer. We have a greater hope. We have a message today. 
And it is the promise of the Father to bring it to pass. In our text today, in verse 37 of Luke chapter 24, it tells us exactly how the disciples responded when they came face to face with the reality that I'm describing this morning. It says, when Jesus appeared in their midst, they were terrified and frightened, supposing that they'd seen a spirit. I want to tell you today that when you read about Jesus in these passages of Scripture and when you think of him in your mind as he exists today in heaven, he is not just a spirit being, but he has a physical, he isn't a ghost today. He isn't just a spirit. He isn't just a cloud, but he is a physical human being in a glorified body ruling and reigning from heaven. They were terrified and they were frightened when they came face to face because they'd never experienced anything like it. Verse 39 and 40 of the text that we read moments ago, Jesus sees their fright and their terror. And he says, whoa, he says, look at my hands and my feet and see that it's actually me. Handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, muscle and bones like I do. And he showed them his hands and his feet. He proved to them. Now, why, w- why would Jesus pause and do that if it weren't important for us to understand? We're not supposed to get the wrong idea of what our future hope looks like. And so Jesus took the time and didn't just say, hey, fellas, calm down. I got some things to tell you. No, he says, guys, look, I have flesh and bones just like you. Look at my hands. Look and see that it's me. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. It's me in a physical but glorified body. It was important for Jesus that they understood the full picture of what was happening before their eyes. It should make us stop and take notice as well. Verse 41 goes on to say that they still didn't believe for joy. And they marveled, and he said to them, you got any food here? You ever had anyone come over to your house? Any food? Jesus just like shows up in their living room, in their kitchen, just in the blink of an eye. His first question, do you have any food here? It might be that he's not all that different. He might actually be human after all. So they gave him a piece of fish. And a honeycomb. And Jesus ate it. In the, now, you might think, the, the man who wrote this out, Luke, why, why in the world include details? Like, why do I need to know not only that Jesus ate, but that he ate fish and honey? Like, why do I need that information? How does that shape my theology at all? Like, I don't know if that really moves the needle at all here. And it's there for our benefit for this purpose. He's a human being. He's God manifested in the flesh. And the body that he had after his resurrection was a real human body. It was able to do some things that I don't have, I don't have science. I don't, I don't have, I can't duplicate it in a laboratory. I don't know how he just vanishes and shows up in another place. I don't know how he walks through a wall supposedly and, 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 but still needs some food to eat. The Bible says there's going to be a marriage supper. I think there's going to be real food involved. I sure hope that there's real real food involved. I was talking to my sister. I'm going to throw her right under the bus. I was talking to her before church, and she was making copies for her Sunday school class. Don't we appreciate all of our Sunday school teachers? We love them very much. 
she was making copies for her Sunday school class, and I said, hey, sis, would you prefer that I preach long or short this morning? And she says, well, I am really looking forward to one of those hot dogs. And she was joking with me, but I, I too, am looking forward to the fellowship we're going to have today. And I'm looking forward to the fellowship we're going to have on the other side. Amen? Amen. I just want to paint a picture because sometimes Hollywood will paint us a whole lot of pictures of the way things in the Christian afterlife is going to be, and they're most of the time way far off base. We need to go back to the Word of God. We believe in going to the Word of God for all of our doctrine, amen? We believe in going to the Word of God for the plan of salvation and everything else. If it's in the book, I believe it, amen? You can trust Jesus' words. You can trust it. Jesus said that he would rise again. And he did. Jesus said that he'd send the promise. What was the promise? The gift of the Holy Ghost. And he did. And Jesus said that he's coming again. And he will. Brothers and sisters, Jesus isn't going to be two for three. He's going to be three for three. He's going to rise again. He rose. He said he was going to rose again. Rise again. And he rose again. He said he was going to send the Spirit. And he did send the Spirit. And he says he's going to come back in the twinkling of an eye. And believe you me this morning, it could happen today, but he's going to come back for his church. He is going to judge the living and the dead. And he is going to reign forevermore. You can trust the words of Jesus. God always has a plan. He always has a plan. Jesus isn't reacting to the current trends of the day. He has a plan. And God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. We've zeroed in on that word this morning, the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. And it'd be easy to read this text and to wonder, is that just a phrase? Is that just something that Jesus plucked out of, out of midair? He just kind of invented it and ad-libbed it right there on the spot with his disciples after the resurrection. And, and it would be easy to believe that, but that's not what happened at all. The promise of the Father is something that there is a thread running through the Old Testament that describe what was going to come to pass in those days and in our days. That's how Jesus was able to pause on the road to Emmaus and even in that room that we're seeing at the end of Luke 24. And he was able to explain to his disciples everything, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, everything that was going to come to pass regarding the promise of the Father and the plan of God. I was reading to my children the other night from Psalm 119. We, a lot of times we'll read a psalm at night and the kids will get to pick what number and... Um, They've, sometimes they'll ask, because they always want to stay up later. They always want to stay up later. And so they got into the habit of asking, what's the, they would, they would say, I want to, I want Psalm whatever. And I'd say, okay, great choice. We're going to read that one. And, uh, but then after they pick it, they, one of them has the epiphany. thought, What's the longest one? And this is after they've already chosen their one. I said, I just tell them, it's Psalm 119, it's very long. I said, we're not reading that all in one night, we ain't doing that. I said, but just, and eventually, one of them remembered it. I, I eventually got, we go in cycles and rotations, and eventually I got back to Lydia, and I, I said, all right, Lydia, what song are we reading tonight? And I seen that look in her eye. She's like, tonight's the night. She says, 119. I'm like, okay, all right. So we've been in 119 for like a week now. 
And uh, I was reading to him the other night, and we got into the, the, if you've never read Psalm 118, there's like hundreds of verses. And we got into the 80s uh, the other night. And so I, I was reading it, though, and this is a few nights ago, and I knew what I was going to be preaching this weekend. And so it stood out to me. And, and, and I want to show you some of what the Old Testament says about this promise of the Father. Psalm 119 is where I'll start. Psalm 119, verse 81 and 82. And the English Standard Version says this, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. And I ask, when will you comfort me? Does anyone know what Jesus called the Holy Ghost in John chapter 14? The comforter. Do you start to see the thread that's running through the Old Testament where the psalmist says, my eyes long for your promise. And my heart asks, when will you come and comfort me? There was something stirring in those Old Testament days. It was the promise of the Father. The prophet Joel, I've read it in your hearing recently, in Joel chapter 2 says that it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Isaiah chapter 32, one of the other prophets says this, until the spirit is poured out from us on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. The prophet promises from God, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty. I will pour water on him. Not just I will give him to drink, but I will pour water on him who is thirsty. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. And my blessing on your offspring. That's a promise. That's the promise of the Father being uttered in the mouth of God's prophets hundreds of years before the life of Christ. The prophet Ezekiel said that I will not hide my face from them anymore. He says there's coming a day that thus says God, I'm not going to hide my face from them anymore. For I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Jesus picked up this theme in John chapter 14 that I just referenced a moment ago and began to teach his disciples about this important Old Testament doctrine of the promise of the Father. John chapter 14 verse 16, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, a comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come. The world will see me no more but you will see me because I live you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The world, Not as the world gives, I give, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The promise of the Father. Now the disciples are being presented with all this information and I'm 
1,000% confident that when Jesus went to the Psalms and the prophets and the books of Moses, and he had a moment like we just had together, and he started to explain to them what was happening and what the promise of the Father was all about, I, can, I guarantee you 1,000% he did it much better than I just did. But they started to hear some of the very same scriptures read in their hearing that we've read out loud this morning. And the light bulb started to come on and there started to be a revelation of everything that Jesus was there to do and everything he was going to continue to do in them. And when they started to hear it, Luke chapter 24 verse 41, they saw the risen Lord Jesus, they heard what he had to say, they saw his hands and his feet, they saw him eating the fish in the honeycomb, they said it's real, we know it's real, it's right here in the room with us. But they still did not believe for joy. And they marveled. Now that's Luke's way of saying what we say a lot of times. That what they were seeing and hearing was too good to be true. It was too good to be true. That's what it means when they said they still didn't believe for joy. So it's kind of a funny thing how these two things kind of collide in our life sometimes. Because in this moment, and we've experienced, you've experienced this too, the full exercise of their faith was being stunted by their level of joy that they had. They had such a level of joy that was erupting in their life that their faith wasn't able to keep up for it. God was doing such a thing in their midst, and it was bringing them such a level of joy that they couldn't hardly believe that it was happening. When the surprise of the event is so immense that it keeps you from immediately laying hold of what's actually happened. They are so overjoyed that they're saying, in a sense, I can't believe it. It's here in the room with me. I see it happening. My eyes are picking up on it. My ears see it. I've even touched the nail scars. I've seen him eat the fish that was left over from lunch. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. It's right here in the room with me. But I still can't bring myself to believe it. I'm having trouble processing everything that's happening today. When the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is explained and declared to you, it ought to move you to the same place of joy. I took a moment and I stopped last week and I just let us ponder on the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. I hope that, I know we're a few weeks away from Easter now, I hope you're not tired of hearing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a miracle. It's never happened before. He's still alive today, and he's coming back for the church. And when we get a hold of the miracle of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is declared in our hearing like it's being this morning, it ought to move us from a place perhaps of complacency to a place like the disciples of overwhelming joy and gratitude, almost to where our faith can't hardly keep up with the reality of what God is doing in our midst. He has risen from the dead. If you hear this message today 
If you hear it declared in your hearing that there is one who is risen from the dead, who has become your redeemer and your savior, if you hear that message today and you aren't moved forward in your joy, then you're dull of hearing and you're deadened in your spirit. It might be that you're satisfied in yourself. I know that's strong medicine this morning, but it's the truth. You need a preacher to tell you if, 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 you, if there's not joy that's starting to well up hearing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't matter who's preaching it. It's not about me. It's about the message today. But if there's not joy that's starting to well up and spring up inside of you, then what you need more than anything is for a preacher to tell you that you're not sufficient and that you're not going to be saved on your own merit. You need to let the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ be your hope in this life and in the life to come. Because it's, it's that hope that this world so desperately wants to snuff out and exterminate out of your life. This world would like for you to believe that you've got time and that you're going to be able to make it on your own and that you're a good enough person and that you've done enough good things that you're going to be able to merit salvation on your own. But the word of God testifies to us that the only way to be saved is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and patterning, patterning your life after what he did. It happens when you repent of your sins. It happens when you're baptized and you're buried in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And when that promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Ghost, is poured out into your life, that's when salvation happens. That's when God starts to do a new thing in your life. And there's joy. There's joy when we start to hear about the promise of the Father. I'm just looking for believers on this Sunday morning. This is the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith that Jesus died and rose again. And when you know that you need a Savior and a Savior presents himself, then your disillusionment develops into great joy. Look, that word appears twice in this text that we read this morning. It appears once in Luke chapter 24 verse 41, they still did not believe for joy, and they marveled. And then they had this interaction with Jesus where they felt the nail scars in his hands, and they saw it in his feet, and they, they saw him eat the fish, and they realized that he was a real human being, and that it wasn't just a ghost, it wasn't a mirage, but it was real, and it was actually happening. And then he started to tell them, but, but wait, there's more, there's something even better that's about to happen. And and, and there's a promise from my father, and it's actually what we've been waiting on this whole time that the prophets wrote about, and the psalmist wrote about, and Moses even alluded to. And it says in verse 52 that when Jesus sent them on their way, that they went with great joy. What was previously being processed as something that was almost too good to be true has now crystallized into obedience and great joy. This is the walk that leads to promise and power. It consists of obedient faith and great joy. And I pray today, this morning, that this simple message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is stirring you today and crystallizing your faith 
into a new level of obedience because, brothers and sisters, the best is yet to come. I preached on Easter Sunday that this is just the beginning, but I stand before you just a few weeks later still looking at the words of the same Savior who came out of that tomb on Easter, and I'm here to tell you that not only is this just the beginning, but the best is yet to come. I don't know what's behind you. I don't know what this past week, I don't know what your past holds, but I'm speak, I, I, let me speak hope to somebody today. Your best days are ahead of you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter what your track record looks like. It doesn't matter even what your recent track record looks like. Your past doesn't dictate your future. The, the blueprint for your future is in the Holy Ghost. God is writing a new story for you, and the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Somebody rejoice right now. Somebody let some of that joy get over them right now. There's someone here that's got a revelation. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. He's here in the house today. Brother, hey, what if he just appeared in this place right now? What if he just showed up today and started to touch somebody's life and say, you know what? I am real. I am real. And the promises that you need, I'm here to fulfill them today. You may have been disappointed by man, but I can tell you today that you can serve the one who never does anything less than the absolute best for you. He's always got the best in mind for you. What is it that changed their joy? What is it that took them from that disbelieving joy to that great joy? What is it that was the catalyst for that change, that change that I pray hope happens in this place today? They had just seen the resurrected Jesus. They had just touched the nail-scarred hand. They saw him eat the fish. They had Jesus speak to them. He explained the word of God to them. What could possibly be better than all of those things that would take them from just joy to great joy? I'm here to tell you today that beyond the nail scars and beyond the fish and beyond the exposition of God's word that they were able to sit and listen to that day coming directly from the mouth of Jesus, it was when he explained and mentioned the promise of the Father that elevated their joy. Just when they thought that it couldn't get any better than it already was. Just when they thought that they had it made, just when they were, ju- they were just excited to have Jesus back, they were just excited that they got to sit under some more Jesus teaching, but then Jesus started to explain to them what the next phase in his plan was all about. God always has a plan. He always, he always has a plan. Your life may be turned upside down right now. You might be facing turmoil and you may be wondering what in the world is going on in your life, in this world, in your family. But I tell you today, Jesus has a plan. He already, come on, one day he went, he was about to feed the 5,000 one day and he asked old Philip, he says, Philip, what are we going to do? All these people are hungry. And then the scripture gives us this little footnote. It says, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knows what he's going to do, brothers and sisters. You may be facing an impossibility today. 
It may be an impossible health situation. It may be something that looks impossible in your finances. It might be something, it might be a sin that is sitting on top of your life and feels like a boulder and you feel like it is impossible to get out from underneath the weight and addiction of the sin that is covering your life. But Jesus already has a plan and he already knows what he wants to do. The question today is are you going to yield to it? I told you I'm going to preach like it's my last chance to preach to you today. And I told you that if you'll respond like it's your last chance to respond there's no telling what Jesus might do in this house today that thing you've been dealing with for so long you don't have to deal with it anymore it was joy about the promise it was the promise of the infilling of God's spirit verse 49 of Luke 24 The New King James that we read together, Jesus says, there's going to be a promise from my Father, and you're going to be endued with power from on high. The English Standard Version, most modern translations, they say you're going to be clothed with power from on high. It's going to come over you. Jesus was telling them, fellas, there's about to be an outpouring. What is now contained in this room that we're huddled together in, around the fish is about to be poured out over the face of the whole earth. That thing that the prophet Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah chapter 33, I read it a moment ago. He says, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. From on high. Where does Jesus say the promise of the fathers? They're going to be clothed with power from on high. That thing that the Old Testament prophets longed to look into was about to transpire in just a few short days after they made the journey back to Jerusalem. It was the gift of God's Spirit, and it was going to be for everyone. That was the promise of the Father. No longer was it going to be relegated to just one man, Abraham. God made Abraham a tremendous promise said, I'm going to do all my work in the earth through your descendants, through you and your descendants. And it seemed for so long that this work that God was doing was going to be strictly on the basis of genealogy. And that if you didn't belong to a particular branch of the human family tree, that you were going to be on the outside looking in. But Jesus is blowing the doors wide open here in this little room in Luke 24. And he's telling them, guys... Guys, what has been a private party for so long is about to go public. It's called the promise of my father. And he doesn't just love one particular kind of person. I said a minute ago, we're not perfect here. We're all different kinds of people from all different kinds of places and backgrounds and lifestyles. And and, and a lot of things happen before Christ. But we're all here now and we're trying to pursue after God together. And Jesus said to them, where it's been relegated to just this one group of people for so long, and that's just the way the plan of God had to develop through the millennia, he said, there's fixing to be a change that happens, and I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. This news about the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Ghost, brought had what the Bible describes as great joy. And they had great joy, hear me, sometimes we associate joy as something that only comes after we've received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. They just heard the good news 
and were just merely anticipating the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And the Word of God says that that alone, just the anticipation, just the expectation, just their level of faith and believing that what Jesus said was going to come to pass was enough to develop great joy in their life. They were already walking with joy. Jesus is resurrected. The promise of the Father is coming. God is about to take up residence in me. There's going to be an outpouring of God's Spirit. And there's nothing in the world that can steal what I have. The musicians would come. I wonder if there's somebody today who has that joy walk that's already kind of starting to stir in their spirit. I wonder if there's anybody today, maybe you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost or maybe, maybe it's a gift you need to receive today, but you already feel that joy springing up in you right now. Because you know that there's a life that's greater than the one you've been living. There's still hope. And maybe, maybe you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost already and you're looking forward to the other side. And you're saying, you know what? Things in my life may not be all that great, but I've got a hope of heaven. I've got a hope of eternity. We used to preach about heaven and we used to rejoice about heaven because heaven was so much better. But I fear that sometimes life has gotten so comfortable and good on this side of glory. And that we've got so many things in our life that's able to numb whatever pain we have and distract us from whatever things are going on in our life that we've lost sight of how great heaven's going to be. We've got something waiting for us on the other side of glory. We've got a glorified body that's waiting for us. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more brokenness. There's not going to be any more dysfunction. There's going to be no more disease. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more affliction. You ought to rise to your feet right now and give the Lord great praise and just demonstrate some of that great joy unto the Lord right now. He's here in this place. He's resurrected. Come on, everything doesn't have to be perfect for you to move with joyful anticipation of what God is already working in your life you can have that joy today it's in the house and the promise of the father is here let's come up around the front right now and let's begin to move in faith and let's say you know what I've already got some joy in my walk he's been better to me than I deserve and there's joy that's in my step right now come on find a place to pray right now and find something that you can bring to the Lord and say Lord I know it may not be perfect on this side of glory but the promise of the Father is real and it's tangible and it's here in this place and it means that I can bring anything to you in faith Come on, the promise is your victory today. That promise I've been preaching about today, would you respond like it's your last time to get to respond? Like you, don't, like you really don't know what tomorrow holds and this might be the last opportunity that we have to respond to the preached word of God together. Come on, that promise of the Father is the key to your victory today. The Holy Ghost will cause you to overcome the Holy Ghost is the key to your joy today. There's no sin so great that it won't be forgiven when you confess and repent. There's no part of your past that can't be covered by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's no dysfunction that the Holy Ghost can't lead you out of. There's no brokenness that God can't heal. The promise of the Father is able to flow into every part of your life. Why don't you just open up that compartment and let the Holy Ghost start to move and adjust and minister to you today.